0: The reading is 2 Kings 13 from verse 10. In th- 37th year of Joash, king of Judah, Jehoash son of Jehoashah became king of Israel in Samaria and he reigned for 16 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from any of the sins Jeroboam son of Nebat, which he caused Israel to commit. He continued in them. As for the events of the reign of Jehoash, all he did and his achievements, including his war against Amaziah king of Judah, are are they not written in the book of the annals of the the kings of Israel? Jehoash rested with his ancestors and Jeroboam succeeded him on the throne. Jehohash was buried in Samaria with the king of Israel, kings of Israel. Now Elisha had been suffering from the illness from which he died. Joash king of Israel, went down to see him and wept over him. My father, my father, he cried, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. Elisha said, get a bow and some arrows, and he did so. Take the bow in your hands he said to the king of Israel when he had taken it elisha put his hands on the king's hands open the east window he said and he opened it shoot elisha said and he shot it the lord's arrow of victory the victory the arrow of victory over aram elisha declared you will completely destroy the arameans at Afik. and then he said Take the arrows, and the the king took them. Elisha told him, strike the ground. He struck it three times and stopped. The man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. But now you will defeat it only three times. Elisha died and was buried. Now Moabite raiders used to enter the country every spring. Once, while some Israelites were burying a man, suddenly they saw a band of raiders. So they threw the man's body into Elisha's tomb. When the body touched Elisha's bones, the man came to life and stood up up on his feet. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Scripture is sometimes a bit strange. Don't know how you felt when you listened to that reading. When I looked at it a couple of weeks ago, I thought, I said to Steve, that's a bit strange. But if we're patient, as we dig into Scripture, it's a bit like a water pipe. If anybody's done any DIY and had that terrible moment where you drill into a wall and you hit... One Of your water pipes, some people not have you have you the water does not stop flowing, does it? It gushes out. We had a mains pipe running under our road, and the top burst off and it burst up and it, put, it burst out so much that the concrete the pavement lifted and the water gushed over the road. It did that for about a day. If you're short of water at the moment, that's probably why. <laughs> this is what scripture does for us once we enter its apparently strange world, once we inhabit that and we listen to what God's saying to us, all these things gush forward. So, I've got seven quick points to share with you. The first comes from, thank you very much for reading those first few verses. The middle part of the passage doesn't make sense without the first part, which we didn't have up on our screens, but um, was read for us very helpfully. In the 36th year... Joash, king of Judah, Jehoash, son of Jehoaz. There's lots of Jehos there, isn't there? Became king of Israel in Samaria. He reigned for 16 years. And what does his reign merit? Four short verses. That's it. That's it. He reigned more than five times the length of Boris Johnson being our prime minister, and effectively, he gets a footnote. Isn't that striking? Isn't that interesting? And in fact, the the writer here says, well, basically, if you want to know all the things he did, they're not written here, but they are written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel. Scholars think the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel did not exist. The author's saying, if you want the historical stuff, go over there, but that's not what matters. What matters is the next bit. His encounter with the man of God, with Elisha. His encounter with God's prophetic word. That gives us lesson one of seven. History is not made by the good and the great or in this case the bad and the great actually most of the good and the great are often the bad and the great aren't they that's not what our newspapers tell us our newspapers tell us that the important people who shape the world are those in positions of influence those in positions of power those who've risen to the top and this reading tells us they're just a footnote in God's account of history And the reason for that is lesson two. We're working through these lessons quite quickly. Because what it tells us, the fact that this little sort of historical note comes before Jehoash's encounter with Elisha. And again, what the writer is telling us is how a person responds to Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. How a person responds to God is more important than all achievements and honors of a lifetime. Now, we may have amongst us here some of the great and the good. Praise the Lord. Some of you who are younger in years might end up being the great and the good. You might end up, God might call you into positions of influence and positions of power and profile. We ought to get sort of signatures now, so when they're famous, we can say, oh, I've got a signature of a famous person here. But remember this, how you respond to God through your life is going to be more important than all your achievements and your honours. So, that's lesson one and lesson two. Now, Elisha had been suffering from illness from which he died. Jehoash king of Israel went down to see him and wept over him. My father, my father, he cried, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel why did he say that does that ring a bell with you it should do because that is what Elisha said to Elijah when he passed on the mantle had it well literally he passed over his cloak and Elijah was taken up into heaven he didn't die he was the one one who a deathless one who God took him up to himself and as he disappeared on this flaming chariots of fire, <makes> of fire> that's the film, that's where he got his name from, chariots of fire. As he did that, Elisha cried out, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. What he's saying is, just like part one, lessons one and two, that the might of the people of God does not depend on warriors or doesn't depend on... Uh, 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 military might. It depends on the presence of God's word amongst his people through his prophets. And Jehoash says the same thing to Elisha that Elisha said to Elijah. Well, that's a good sign, isn't it? Except it isn't. Because actually, what then transpires? Elijah, Elisha's test or request to Jehoash is really saying okay you've said this you've said that you trust the word of the Lord you have said that you recognize the importance of God's word to his nation do you really believe it do you really mean it here's lesson number three it is not enough to honor God with our lips yeah we're here and we're here to worship God we're here to sing and we are we're here to To honor God with our lips and our worship as we come, we receive bread and wine. But the real test is what happens when we go out the door about living a life for God and trusting him Monday to Saturday. John Wimber, who was that great leader of renewal by the Spirit, and he would pray for people and they would fall down and they would receive the presence of God and be renewed. And he said, do you know what I'm most interested in? It's not what happens when people fall down, it's what happens when they get up again. That's what really matters. And that's what Elisha's encounter with Jehoash tells us too. It's not enough to honor God with our lips. But actually, what matters is honoring God in our lives as well. And that's what the letter of James says to us. He says, you show me your faith by what you say. I'll show you my faith by what I do. We need to use the right words. But we need then to take them and to live them out because God claims all of us our hearts our hands our feet our minds not just our lips and then we come to the center part I think I need some help here I think I need some help I'm going to ask the churchills to come and help me okay so Andy (laughs) can you just hold that up just go, go and stand there by that by that speaker That's great. Uh, and Sarah, can you come here? OK, so... Have you used one of these before? No, well, no not one like that. Not one like that? Have you've, you done, you've done archery? Mm, you well know, okay, so, okay, OK, so you need, what you need to do is... Are you left-handed or right-handed? Right-handed. Right-handed. OK, so you hold that in your left hand like that. OK. Got a quiver full of arrows here. Yeah. Are you all right, Andy? <laughs> <laughs> are you feeling nervous? So what you need to do, okay, you need to get it that way round yeah. so that the, this one is sticking out, and you put that on there, like that, actually it needs to be a bit further down, so it there, rests on that, so okay, so there's a lot of tension in there, no, 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 you don't do that, now you put, okay. now what, you, you don't hold the arrow, oh, okay. you actually only hold the string and you do it between there, did you know that, no. okay, so there we go. Between
0: those things.
1: That's right, that's it. Okay, now, don't, don't let go. <laughs> So what happened was that, you're Jehoash, you're the Aramaeans, okay? Okay? And what, what Elijah, contrary to my picture, actually, it's a dramatic picture, but it's not accurate to the reading. So what happened is that, as Jehoash did this, then Elisha put his hands on like this. So, the flight of the arrow was no longer the work of a warrior, but it was the work of the prophet. It was the work of the word of God. And that's why it became significant. I think Andy's feeling enough, nervous enough. I think you probably ought to let go now. So there we go. Thank you. Have a round of applause for the Churchills. Now, you may be asking yourself, are these sharp? They are really, really sharp. Steve, how sharp is that? Okay, so Andy's got away with his life. That's a good news. Why an arrow? Why was it? that Elisha told him he took a bow and an arrow, why was it that Elisha the prophet put his hands on Jehoash's hands as he shot the arrow? And the answer is, if you read through the whole story of 1 and 2 Samuel and 1 and 2 Kings, because they're one story, arrows feature earlier in the story. I don't know if anyone remembers where. This is thinking hard. Okay, there's two occasions where arrows do the work of God. The first is Saul, King Saul, who was anointed to be king over Israel, despite the prophet Samuel's protests. And he was a good king who turned bad. And his life came to a tragic end. Guess how he died? The archers overtook him. It's right at the end of 1 Samuel. It's the end of Saul's life, and it's the end of an episode. It marks the end of 1 Samuel, and we have to turn to the next scroll, 2 Samuel, because of an arrow. Then in 1 and 2 Kings, at the end of 1 Kings, bad old King Ahab, he is afraid that he'll be targeted. He goes into battle in disguise. Some other poor chap dresses as the king, and they're about to kill him, and he goes, no, no, I'm not the king, I'm not the king. And they go, oh, we're not going to kill you, you're not the king. Meanwhile, Ahab is at the back of the battle, disguised as an ordinary soldier. The enemy fires some arrows, and guess what happens? A random arrow strikes him and kills him. And... That's the end of 1 Kings. It's the end of a chapter. We have to turn over the page to a new part of the story of God's people. The arrow signifies God's sovereignty over what is happening to his people. Why are you here this morning? Was it some random act? You just happened to bump into somebody? Somebody at work or some family member told you about Jesus? You came along to church? I, looking back, I think I came to faith completely at random. We had a random person turn up at our house. She randomly met some people. They randomly invited along to a social event. She randomly invited me as well. I then met them, and through them, I discovered faith in Jesus. It looked completely random until you realize that God had his hand on the bow and the arrow. And now I look back and say, I can see what God was doing. He was saying... I want you to know me, and I'll do it through this random series of events. So you might want to reflect and say, what is it that looks random in your life, but actually is part of what God is doing to take you to the place he wants you to be, to be faithful to him? So what is our lesson for? It's not the hands of the warriors, Jehoash, but it's the hand of God through his prophetic people, that matters and is going to make the difference. Where has God put you so that you can place your hands on the person who is firing the bow and the arrow? We went to France uh, in June, and the reason was a two-years postponed wedding, which I was, a um, uh, wedding blessing that I was conducting for friends of ours. Um, so we should have done it two years ago, but because of COVID it was postponed. They actually had a civil service, they so had a, w- a wedding blessing. And it was really interesting talking to them, two of them were both um, management consultants doing high, you know, quite high-powered jobs. And of course they had all their friends. The friends had come from Australia, from London, from New York, from all places around the world. So it was fascinating talking to these young people with high-powered jobs. And I talked to one guy, TJ, he was a, a Hindu by background, and he was now living in New York and uh, he had a girlfriend, they're living together, and he was doing a very high-powered job there. Anyway, he got into an interesting conversation. I said, well, how did you end up doing that? He said, well, I, I, I dropped out of school. I went into the east end of London. He was living in London then. And I just went knocking on doors until I got a job. I thought, wow, that's fantastic. And I just felt the Lord say to me, Revelation 3, verse 20. Anyway, we stopped the conversation. He had to go off for photos. And then later on... <laughs> after we'd had quite a few rounds of drinks and things i called him up. i said tj i've got a, i've got I, th- I think just god's given me something for you jesus stares behold i stand at the door of your life and i knock if anybody opens the door and invites me in i will come in and i will eat with them and tj said oh did you just think of that because of what we taught he'd had quite a few drinks so <laughs> Oh, you just thought of that, and I said, "Yeah," because I just felt God wanted me to share that with you. That's amazing," he said. Now, because he had a few drinks, I also he gave me his phone number so I could text that verse to him. So there's the word of the Lord for somebody in an influential position. The hands of the prophet on the person who has the bow. Who is God calling you alongside, where you are there to be God's prophetic word to someone? in a position of influence. So what does he do? Well, he has a bunch of arrows. It's quite interesting that um, he talks about shooting the arrows in the air, and then he talks about striking the ground. I thought that was really odd. I thought he meant he took the arrow and he went like this, bang, bang, bang. But I don't think it is. I think, actually, most commentators on this think that what he did is he shot the first arrows in the air, and then he pointed to the ground, and, he, and the arrows struck the ground. He's still shooting out the window. I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, I've got whatever, I've never got eight there. So what he did, he had this quiver of arrows, but he only took half of them. He only took half of them. And Elisha was angry. Why was that? Because God had given him more than he was willing to receive. God had given him more than he was willing to receive. And Elisha was angry. He said, look, God was offering you Complete victory, but you didn't want it. You couldn't be bothered. You'd run out of steam. You'd perhaps you'd run out of faith. You, you said at the beginning, you know, the the the, the horsemen and chariots of Israel, but do you really mean it? it? It is your faith in God just for this bit of your life, but not for this other part. And what's really interesting is that um, he talks about. Well, I think most Bible translations say victory over Aram, victory over the Aram, Aramian, did I say that right? Aramians? Actually, the word he uses is salvation. Salvation. Now, in the Old Testament, God's people are a nation state, so, as it were, political victory has spiritual significance. We live in a different context now. But I think God says the same to us. He has given you, he has given me, everything that we need In Jesus, in salvation, in giving us the gift of his spirit, in giving us assurance, in giving us confidence to testify to him, in giving us the spirit of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, Revelation 19 tells us. He has given us everything we need to either become one of the good and the great or to be the prophetic witness to the good and the great in whatever context we're in. And the question he asks us is the question Elijah asked uh, Jehoash. Will you accept everything that God is giving giving you? That's lesson number five. God has more than we can ask or imagine. So don't give up. Don't hold back. God has more for you. I don't know if it's just... me getting a bit long in the tooth. I've noticed that that I'm actually less radical and less risk-taking in my faith now than I was when I was in my 20s. I don't know if anybody else feels that. It's actually quite easy just to settle down, isn't it? And to be content with the things that God did in the past. Jehovah says to us, don't give up. Don't rest on that. God has more to give you. Step out again. Take that full quiverful of arrows. Don't just take half of them. God has given us in the spirit love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Receive them all. God has given us victory in Jesus over those besetting sins that continue to come back and trouble us. Don't just take half the quiver. Take the lot. And then finally, we get to this third section, this weird, really weird bit. <laughs> I don't know. Did you think it was weird? Where, so Elisha has died, and he's in his tomb, and then there's some sort of battle or other, and, then, and people are about to bury some, I don't know, Joe Shlomo, anonymous Israelite chap. The, the, the Moabites come. Ah! Run away. What are we going to do with the body? We're halfway through the funeral. I'll just dump it in there. Poor chap. He touches Elisha's body. And oh, he comes back to life. We don't even know his name. I mean, it is a bit remarkable, isn't it? Now, interestingly, although you might say, oh, that's just a little bit like, you know, people who go to relics and want to touch the relics of the saints in order to receive God's blessing. Actually, it's the opposite. When, when people go to relics and say, oh, well, you know, this relic is really sacred, they focus on the relic. It's the relic that matters. Whereas I think what this passage is telling us is the opposite. Because something odd happened at Elijah's death as well. When Elijah was carried up on the horses and chariots of fire to heaven, it was a signal that God triumphed over death. That's why on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus appears with Moses, no one knows where he was buried, and Elijah. And Elijah who did not suffer death. These, in Jewish tradition, are the two deathless ones. But Jesus brings the victory over death because God is always interested in bringing life. And the reason why we have this episode at the end of Elisha's life is to show that the same thing is true. This is not about Elisha. He's dead. He can't do anything. This is about the God of Israel, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is always... Wanting to bring life. He wants to bring life, Elijah tells us, to the whole people of God. But Elisha's death tells us he wants to bring life to you and to me, to each one, each individual. It's both corporate and it's individual. We need to be part of the living, animated people of God. But we also need to know that life for ourselves. Which brings me, of course, to my last point. All this is brought to us by Jesus. Of course he is. Of course it is. You knew I was going to say that, didn't you? You knew I was going to finish that. And in fact, there's a sense in which this isn't seven lessons. This is just one lesson. One lesson is, the one lesson is, it's it's God's agenda that matters, not the agenda of us or those around us, not the agenda of the good and the great. They're just going to be a footnote in history. What matters is what God is doing with you and with we what matters is not are we going to be mighty warriors but are we going to be those who hear and receive the word that God has for us about four and a half years ago I went on a retreat with a group of uh, leaders from a range of different churches but mostly from the new churches it was quite an interesting experience for me as an Anglican so you know if you're an Anglican you say morning prayer by getting out a book and you read various things and you read a psalm and a, their idea of morning prayer was to stand up and speak in tongues for an hour and a half. So that was kind of you know, was interesting. On the, s- the second morning, someone had a prophetic word for me. And I think these people are in a tradition where they're very happy to use lots of words. His prophetic word for me lasted 20 minutes. <laughs> I don't remember everything he said. But I remember enough for that, that word to have sustained me day by day and week by week for the last four and a half years. It was a word that was rooted in Scripture. Of course it is, because the spirit of the prophets is the same spirit who shaped and inspired those who wrote Scripture. So what the Spirit does now must always relate to and spring out of what the Spirit has said in the past. But that's what God has for us today. God wants to speak a fresh word through Jesus, by his Spirit, into our hearts because Jesus is the one who is the history maker Jesus is the one who actually speaks life to his people isn't it amazing that a, a Jewish almost unknown Jewish man who never wrote a thing has shaped the history of the world more than any king any warrior any power on earth and he wants to share his life and his power in bread and wine with us this morning Let's pray. Father, as we gather around your table, as your beloved family, will you speak your words of life to us afresh? We pray. Will you give us a new taste of your victory? And Father, will you shape us as prophetic people who may bring your life to those around us? We ask this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.